Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Today we're going to get into God's Word. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're just going to cover, every week I, I go less and less verses, but I got, I got to three whole verses this week, <laughs> verses 13 through 15, and that's all I'm going to cover. But it's, uh, it's going to be uh, a good day today as we talk about what Christ has made us, what Christ has made us. Um, how many appreciate this great weather we've been having? I mean, come on, it's been amazing. If you're like me and you're not really fond of snow, this has been like the the primo winter of all winters, especially as most of the snow fell when I was in Thailand on a mission trip. So, so I feel sorry for my wife having to use the snowblower a couple times, but not too sorry because uh, that's just okay. Anyway, uh, no, I just enjoyed not. And, and, and uh, the weather's been so good that the, Ron and I golf, and the golf course actually opened on Friday. And so we, uh, Ron and I got to go out with Lonnie, and the three of us went out and golfed on Friday. It was glorious, it was wonderful, and I was, I was just reveling in this amazing spring that we have, and the grass is already growing. And, and yesterday morning, I drove to the church, and I parked early in the morning, and I, I was just thinking about, man, it's so nice, Lord, it's just, that spring is really here early, and we've already golfed. And then the revelation of what comes along with spring kind of hit me as I drove up and saw the grass at the church going to need to be mowed pretty soon, and I figured, shoot, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I just feel like uh, that's the other shoe falling, I guess, to the, the, there's a good side and a bad side, and so I guess we're going to have to get busy on some yard work and some uh, mowing the lawn soon, but that's not so bad. Um, usually on Saturdays, Rhonda will ask me if my sermon is all done. She didn't ask this week, but a lot of times she will, and I always reply exactly the same way. I always say, no. <laughs> no matter, you know, it could be Saturday night. She'll ask me, is your sermon all done? No. And I always feel the same way. I always feel like, you know, it, it, I've, I've ne- I always feel like there's more I could think about. There's, I've ne- have I thought everything through as best I could? And, and, uh, and I actually heard a quote by Leonardo da Vinci last night, and I, I, this really stuck with me. Uh, he said, apparently at one time, art is never done, it is just abandoned. And I thought about that, and I thought, that's how I feel about messages that I bring to the church. I mean, I love preaching the Word of God to you and communicating with you, but a lot of times I feel like putting a sermon together is something that it's... Because God's Word is so infinite, and God is so infinite, I always feel like I could fall short of saying everything I want to say. Does that kind of make sense? And so I'm hoping that this doesn't feel too abandoned today as we get into it. All right. Okay. Um. Before I get to the scripture, I want to share a little bit of personal news about me, but it does relate to the message and uh, something that happened this week. Uh, Last Tuesday morning, uh, early in the morning, I received word that my father, who I have not really had a relationship with my whole life, passed away. And uh, most of you know that about me, that I haven't had that relationship with him. I was the product of an affair between my father and my mother. Uh, they actually had three children together. My oldest brother was put up for adoption before I was born, then came me, then came my younger brother three and a half years later. And so basically I just grew up with a mom and a younger brother and, and only knew my dad's short, a short little bit of time when I was very young, only when he would come to visit. He never lived with us, but he would come and visit occasionally and I... Uh, and up till I was probably five or six years old, I saw him from time to time. And, and a couple of people, when I told them, hey, you know, 
my father passed away, they asked me immediately, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm okay because I, I don't even really know him. I don't. I, uh, uh, again, I knew him till I was maybe six. Accidentally, when I was 10 years old, uh, we were in the ho- I was going to the hospital, I had some kind of weird rash, and my, my mom was taking me, and for some reason, I still can't figure it out to this day, I wish my mom was still alive, I'd ask her, but they had me in a wheelchair, and all I had was a rash, I don't know, maybe it was just fun to be in a wheelchair, but I'm wheeling, being wheeled in a wheelchair through the lobby of this children's hospital in Boston, and, and my mom stopped, and she leaned over to the wheelchair, I was 10 years old, and she said, you see that man over there, and I looked across see, to see who she was talking about, she said, that's your father. I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. I had no idea. I hadn't seen him that I remember for five or six or four or five years at least. And so he, he comes over. He notices her. He comes over and asks about me. He asks what's wrong. He uh, seemed to show some interest. And he even leaned down at one point, looked at me, and says, I'll come visit you in, in your room. And, uh, and that's the last I saw of him. He never did come and visit me in my room. So, you know, but to me as a 10-year-old, it's kind of like just... I, have, I don't know this guy anyway, so I kind of swept that under the carpet. Um, later on in life, uh, I had become an adult. I'd gotten married. We were traveling. Ron and I were back east, and we were visiting my brother, and we all made plans to go as adults now to, to meet and to visit my father and our father. And uh, we met him. I was 26 years old at the time. He invited us out to dinner, which he paid for, which was very kind of him. And uh, we had a good dinner went back to his house for dessert afterwards, and we're just having some conversation. And then at one point in the, in the conversation toward the end of the evening, he looked up at me and he said, so Sal, what are you going to do with your life? You know, I'm 26. I, he knew I was presently out of work because we had purposefully quit our jobs and taken a two-month vacation. Why not? You're 26. You don't have kids. You should, right? And we did this on purpose. We were traveling all around the United States. took a whole two months to do it. And so we're, we're I, you know, he knew I didn't have anything at, the, at present. And so he asked me, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, I feel called to the ministry. I'm going to be a pastor. And he kind of just looks at me and then says, well, you, should, you shouldn't do that. You should do like some kind of a trade, like plumbing or something like that. And, 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 like, I, and I got to just be honest with you. At that moment, I, I kind of got a little tweak in my brain. You know what I'm saying? Or in my spirit. I don't know what. But it just felt like you know, uh, you wanted to just say, how dare you try to give me advice, right? <laughs> At this point in my life, you know, the time is over. And to, to even disdain or to look down on the thing I feel like God's called me to do. And so I sort of harbored some bitterness about that for a few years, to be honest with you. Uh, later on, it's amazing how eight years gives you perspective. Isn't that true? Sometimes, you know, you think about, oh, that's such an awful moment. Now I look back and, and God has given me the grace to help see I think situations and people through different lenses, the older I get and the wiser I hope I get. And I've looked back and I've thought about that and I think, I think he was just worried that I wouldn't make a decent living, right? You know, that it wasn't a malicious thing on his part, but there probably was some care behind that and I, I shouldn't have reacted the way I did. Is that fair to say? So anyway, uh, besides that time, there was another time in the year 2000 uh, when we went down to Disney World and with our kids, and that's the only time my kids ever saw their grandfather, the only time they ever met him. I don't even think Abraham would remember. He was only five at the time. And then one more time, I got to see him at a wedding in Boston in 2001, and, uh, and my sister, and it was the only time in my life that all seven of my siblings, because again, I only was raised with one brother, but, but I have 
this older brother that was put up for adoption that we found, and, and three half-brothers, or two half-brothers and a half-sister on my dad's side, and then another half-sister on my mom's side. What a mess, right? So seven of us all together that I'm related to, though only two are full brothers. Anyway, we went and we were all gathered and uh, got to meet him one more time, and that was a fine thing. And so that's, that's kind of my whole life with my dad. And so people, again, gracious to ask, are you okay? And I'm, yeah, of course I'm okay, I'm fine. But, but the, I don't really miss him. But, but I guess I've been reflecting all week. I miss the fact that I didn't have what God wanted me to have growing up. But, I mean, I've been missing that my whole life, but I didn't have a dad growing up. You understand what I'm saying? I miss what could have been. Let's say it that way. I miss what could have been. And, uh, you know, God, God's intention for families is that they be together, that they be connected, that, they, that, that having an affair and producing children is not good. You know, honestly, I've heard people, it's like uh, we rush so quickly to say that child is a blessing. Well, of course the child's a blessing. It's not the child's fault. But what produced that child was not good. And it ends up creating problems for that child later in life. Are we right? So we understand that. So God intends, and if, if you're in, you know, if you've been through that kind of thing, or, or you are a result of an affair, or, a, or a, a child that came out of a, a relationship that wasn't marriage, that doesn't mean God can't do great things with your life. I think God has been so gracious to me. I'm so thankful. But, but let's do it right. Okay, that's important. We need to keep that part of the conversation there. Not to say, you know, it's, it's funny because in the old days they have, and, and still to this day, people use names for people who are born out of wedlock. Horrible names, right? I don't have to say it. I'm not going to say it from this pulpit. But you understand what I'm saying? Things, and it's almost like they put, the, they put the responsibility on the child as if the child had anything to do with it. That's absurd. But we have to call sin, sin. And we have to say, listen, you know, children are meant to be brought up with a mom and a dad and i know not everybody's situation is that but that's what god's ideal is and that's what he would be after and that's what i guess if you ask me did you miss anything i miss the fact that i didn't get raised that way fair enough okay so so uh, but but here even though in their eyes i was a mistake because they weren't trying to have children for the joy of when we had children we were like let's have another child, or let's have a child, right? We were thinking about, we were purposefully trying to do that, whereas when my mom and dad were having children, it was a mistake, it was an accident. And I've said it before, if abortion had been readily available when I was born in 1958, there's no doubt in my mind I wouldn't even be here today. What they saw as a mistake, though, God did not. <laughs> God did not see that as a mistake. And God says, I, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I formed you. I knew you before you were even formed there. And, and God had an ordained plan for my life. He did. He had a plan for me. And I'm so glad that, that in, although I came from the product of two people engaging in sinful activity, I'm so glad I had the opportunity to live and to, to grow up and to, to do things with my life, to fall in love, to have children of my own, to be a decent dad to them, to, to whoa, what a privilege that he called me into the ministry. What? Are you kidding me? Like, that just blows my mind. Are you, are you serious, God? Because it just, and to have brothers and sisters like you and friendships and relationships, is like, I have all this good stuff in my life. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I'm so glad that I was born. I'm so glad for all that God has done. And though I may miss the idea of being raised by a, 
earthly loving heavenly or earthly father excuse me i'm grateful for the love of god that i've received in my life i'm grateful for the relationship i have and as we talked about last week uh, 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 out of his fullness <laughs> i've received grace in place of grace already given I mean, just unlimited grace from God. He's rescued me from the dominion of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of His Son, whom He loves. And I thank God for all that stuff. Amen? So, this is, so today, we're going to talk about the process of transformation. And that I've, you know, I've experienced this transformation in my life. I think almost all of you, if not all of you in this room, have experienced a transformation that's taken place that because we opened our hearts to God, and we received Christ as Savior. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that process and what happens as we believe in Him, uh, as we move from death to life. And uh, today I'm just going to talk about the title is, What Christ Has Made Us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your, uh, this opportunity to get into your word right here. And, and I thank you for, God, uh, no matter what situation anyone's in today, the love of the Father is amazing. And, and I, I pray that what I have to share today will make impact and inroads into every heart and soul as we gather in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's read our text, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. There should be a hallelujah at the end of that. Bring it up. Come on. All right. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hallelujah. I want to quickly show you a little uh, chart, if I may, uh, just to contrast what we used to be, according to these three verses, and what Christ has made us. He, we used to be dead in sin, but now we've been made alive in Christ. We used to be condemned, but now we've been forgiven of all of our sins. We used to be defeated, but now we are triumphant in Him. Amen? So that's, it. I mean, you know, that's worth the price of admission right there, all right? That's good. So that's exciting to see that this contrast being laid out by Paul, what we used to be. Let me talk briefly about what we used to be, but then I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about what Christ has made us. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and not to rehash it too much, but God said basically to Adam and Eve, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, remember, the knowledge of good is in the knowledge of good and evil, Right? Is it bad to have knowledge, or is good knowledge a bad thing? No. So, so understand that what, the problem wasn't the fruit. It's the problem was the right to choose good and evil for ourselves. Catching that? When we chose that fruit from the tree, we said to God, I will choose what's good. I will choose what's evil. Okay? And God says, that's not going to work. Look, he's not upset all right? Or how, how do I put this? The, the point is, he knows that doing that is detrimental to us. Here's what repentance is. When we repent of our sins, we put that fruit back on the tree, <laughs> all right? And we say, God, I give you the right. This is what him being Lord of our lives means. I give you the right to choose what's good for me and what's evil for me. I give you the right to choose, and I'll live according to your choices. That's what being a believer really means. That's what we're doing when we repent of our sins. We're giving God the ownership once again of those choices in our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Sin is simply disobeying God. We ate from the tree and we've never stopped eating from the tree. Let's be real. Sin is disobeying God. Sin brought death into the world and not just physical death, but spiritual death. It also separated us from God. We were dead in sin. I don't want to be morbid here, but the truth is we're all born dying. I mean, that's, that's an ugly but true fact. It's true. Some of us have a great run at living for sure. I get it. But the truth is the inevitability of death is ever-present from the moment of conception. And those who are dead in sin have no more power than a literal dead person does to overcome sin or pay for it in any way. We're hopeless. We have no hope. Paul describes this as the uncircumcision of our flesh. When Paul is talking about circumcision here specifically, he's not primarily or really at all talking about the physical kind, but spiritual kind, which is something that happens to everybody who receives Christ. The physical act is symbolic of what God wants to do and wants every person to experience spiritually. God wants nothing to get in the way of our relationship with Him. And so the flesh has to be uh, cut away or removed, if you will. Another way to word verse 13, if you still have your Bibles open, this is a different way to say it maybe, would be you used to be dead in your sins and your flesh was not yet cut away. But when God made you alive with Christ, right, the new life began, the new ways began. If we go back to the previous two verses, which we read last week, we also see a description of this a little bit further in what he's talking about. I'll have it up on the screen here, verses 11 and 12. It says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by flesh was put off when you were circumcised with, by Christ. That has to do with believing in him. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What we were or what we used to be were people who were ruled by the flesh. Ruled by our own desires, our own desire to know what was good and evil for ourselves going after the things we figured we could figure it out on our own. The word flesh in the Greek language is the word sarx. It, sarx means all that a person is as the product of natural generation apart from, apart from the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So it's, in other words, it's us without God. We are in the flesh. It speaks of the unsaved person, body, soul, and spirit, controlled by a depraved nature together with all... And listen, these words aren't always bad... All human accomplishments, positions, capabilities, philosophies. and In other words, it's everything you and I are, both good and bad, apart from Christ. It's just the flesh. We might say about someone, he's in the flesh or she's in the flesh. We mean that they're living according to selfish desires, right? When, when Jesus walked this earth, he had flesh, but he never walked in the flesh. He walked in the Spirit. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? Okay. So, so as believers, we're invited to live the same way that Jesus did. We might think, well, that's, that's unattainable. We can't do that. But when we say things like that, we're underestimating the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. You see, because God is giving us the power. Again, I told you last week, that's what grace actually means, is the power, a, a gift of power that God gives us, the ability, if you will, to not sin. Not to cover up sin that's already been committed. The blood of Jesus took care of that. Grace is the power ahead of, it's like a, a front-loading, if you will, the, the ability not to sin, to live a holy life for God. That's what happens. And, it's in, it, and that is encouraged and is blessed by the Holy Spirit as He dwells in us and as we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The, the, 
again, Adam and Eve, they trespassed when they took fruit from the tree that was forbidden. Trespassing is going a place and doing things that God has said we must not. Listen carefully as I say this. It's not, this is what I was trying to say earlier, and I stumbled a little bit. It's not that God is trying to protect himself or his property, right? It's that he's trying to protect us. And that's why he put up a, a, a fence, so to speak, a spiritual fence that says, don't go any further than this. This tree is off limits. But we are those who are always at the edge of the fence looking over and saying, What's on the other side? <laughs> the grass is greener for sure, isn't it? Yeah. Always on the other side of the fence. You see, it's like there's different reasons people wouldn't want you trespassing. Some people would be, I don't want you messing with my stuff. I don't want you on my property. That isn't what God is doing here. What God is doing is he's saying, it's like, it's like for us, it's like a nuclear facility. It's like Chernobyl is on the other side of the fence. He's saying, my children, don't cross the fence. <laughs> don't trespass. Yeah. Literally, we could cross the fence and not do anything to harm that property because it's a mess, if you've seen pictures. But the fact is, it's filled with radiation, and it'll kill us, it'll destroy us. That's what God is doing. He, the fence isn't... This is, listen, the whole law, the Ten Commandments, are the same thing. They're a fence. He's saying... Uh, and he, he's, what he's doing is he's actually building a fence around us, and he's protecting us. It's like a... I think of it as a crib sometimes with my baby. I bring my baby home, put it in a crib, not because I'm cruel, not because I'm trying to jail them or limit their freedoms. I'm saying, I don't want you to fall and hurt yourself. And in the same way, God will build a fence around us and say, everything within this area here, you're good to go. <laughs> Life is good here. But you cross that fence, you try disobeying any of the things I've said or commandments, and ultimately the harm is going to come to you. God's not fearful that we're going to hurt him or hurt his property, believe me. He's just trying to watch out for us. That's his motivation. And there, I'm almost done with this part here, but just, there, just to say quickly, there's a couple of different kinds of trespasses. And, and one would be the external kind. We've all done things like this. We've done lies. We've lied. We've maybe drunkenness, rebellion against authority, fits of rage, filthy language. All, you know, you could make a very long list, right? Things that we outwardly do. But there's another set of, of trespasses that are internal things, things that we actually thought or think. Lust, anger, hatred, dissension, envy, jealousy. You get the idea, right? What, you know, what if there was a screen above our head that revealed our thoughts all the time? Does that frighten anybody besides me? <laughs> yeah. For multiples of reasons, right? I knew a guy once, he uh, gotten in trouble in his work. He had been actually looking at pornography on a work computer. And... Uh, bad deal and uh so they ended up uh they they didn't fire him but they said you're going to take some time off from this job and you're going to uh have to go through counseling and you're going to you know on and on it went and he ends up uh he has to go take a lie detector test right wouldn't that be frightening right you know what i'm saying so so the fact of the matter is we have the external stuff those things we can point out and see in other people. Oh, I, she, she flew off in a rage or, or he, you know. And we know that that's sin. But, but most of the stuff that's going on is this internal kind of stuff that, that only God knows. But it's still trespassing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So again, looking back at verse 13, I love this. It says, he forgave us and the word all. Would you say all? All. He forgave us all our sins. That includes internal and external sins. He's forgiven them all. 
They've been, all of our trespasses have been forgiven. So what we used to be, what we were, was sinners and trespasses who were ruled by our flesh, dead, condemned, and defeated. Turn the page. Let's talk about the good stuff now. Let's talk about what he made us. First of all, he made us alive. He freed us from death, both physically and spiritually. Don't get me wrong, unless the Lord returns, we're all going to die physically. Okay, I'm not going to give anybody a pass on that. But for the believer, death is nothing more than a door into eternal life. I'm not minimizing the coronavirus at all. I'm praying like crazy for people to be healed. But do not, church, do not, as children of God, do not give in to fear that surrounds that kind of stuff. That fear will do more harm to your heart than the coronavirus probably would to a healthy person. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a, it, it is not the right way for believers to look at things. And oftentimes we, we, we withdraw and we get fearful and we think like, like human beings rather than letting Christ think through us. I'm not saying, no, be careful. I'm not, you know, wash your hands a lot, right? <laughs> you know, do everything they're saying to do. But at the same time, do not dwell in and live in fear about such things. I will tell you, I'm old enough now that I've seen many of these things come and go. And they do come and go. But even if, God forbid, that one of us were to contract it, even if one of us would die, I want you to know that the truth is, when that moment came, it isn't the end of anything, but simply the beginning uh, or the opening of the door into the eternal life that we're going to live forever. And we're actually, as, as Paul will, he will say in another place, he'll say to die is gain. And I believe as believers that we must have that perspective about death. And if you feel like you don't, if, if death freaks you out and you are consumed by fear about dying, you need to get to know Jesus a little bit deeper and a little bit more. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to face. Nobody wants to die. But please do not live in that constant state of fear about dying. For us, it is a doorway to a new life, the new life. But I, and so I'm not, and I don't want to minimize that eternal life that we'll all experience because we're in Christ. But, but the real new life actually started the day you asked Jesus into your life. Did you know that? <laughs> From the moment of new birth, you, you walked into a brand new life. Eternal life began then. That's why I, I say it's all, the physical death is simply a doorway to move this eternal person that I am now into my eternity. That's all it is. It's simple. And so from the moment we made Jesus Lord, we started living spiritually. This means we can already ex access the things of the Spirit right? And so that means we can believe now for miracles. These are outside the realm of humanness, but all of a sudden we can expect miracles. We can trust God for amazing blessings outside of the norm. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can combat dark spiritual forces when the enemy's trying to combat us. We have power and authority within us to combat him. We have been given spiritual gifts to prophesy, speak in new languages, receive supernatural instructions, go on down the list all the gifts of the Spirit. We can do all these things because we're already eternally alive. We can live lives dominated by the Spirit that leaves no room for the flesh. That's God's goal for us. Are you tracking with me today? So, so this is what it means to be alive in Christ. Not only are we alive, but we're also forgiven. We're forgiven. Forgiveness means that the debt that we owed, which was impossible to pay back, has already been paid for us. The debt has been paid completely. We were legally indebted by God's standards, but the price has been paid, the charges were dropped. You remember the parable of the, the man that Jesus talked about who, who owed the master a, a, an unbelievable, in today's dollars it would be 
uh, uh, $14 billion. It was, in the NIV, it calls it 20 bags of gold or 20 talents of gold. That was a lot of gold, and that much gold in today's value would be $14 billion. The master that he owed it to was gracious and said to him, you know, I'm going to forgive this unpayable debt completely, and you're a free man. But that same man that was forgiven the $14 billion debt went out and found a man who owed him today's equivalent of about $8,000, and he began to strangle him and choke him and demanded payment and required that that man be thrown in prison until that $8,000 debt was paid. Now, agreed, $8,000 is nothing to sneeze at, but in the light of the debt that's been forgiven, he was expected to forgive others the debt that was or the trespasses against him, right? Now, oftentimes we spend our time talking about that parable in terms of forgiveness, but I just want to back up, uh, you know, forgiving one another, which is the major point. But I want to back up for a moment. We owed $14 billion. Let's just, can we just hang out on that for just a moment? Right? And here's what we need to, to understand. God's not saying that the debt we owed is not important or not real. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that Jesus Christ walked into the heavenly courtroom and brought the $14 billion and laid it down and paid the debt for us. For every single one of us. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, he, he paid the debt. He took care of it. It's been paid. And the judge said the charges have been dropped. You're free to go. Hallelujah. I was talking with someone this week who was asking the question we all ask from time to time. Isn't there a limit to God's forgiveness? Isn't there a place we where we've gone beyond the grace that God has given. And fortunately, if you were here, you know that I had just preached on this the week before. <laughs> and I love it when that happens, you know. And I shared with this person, I said, you know, out of, out of his fullness, we are receiving grace in place of grace already given. I was able to share that concept and, and what the Lord was saying about that. And, and uh, you know, that you can't, you can't use it up. There will always be grace in place of grace that was given before. But then I also went on, if you've been here at all, you've heard me say that, that if Jesus expects us to forgive others, either, depending on the, how you extract it from the Greek, either 77 times or 70 times 7 times, either one's a big number, wouldn't you agree? If Jesus expects us to forgive someone else who does the same thing to us that many times, how much more would God forgive you and me for our repeated offenses? Right? See, see we, we cannot put a limit <laughs> on the grace of God or the power of God to forgive. Thank God. So we're alive, we're forgiven, and finally we're triumphant. The last verse of our text is one of my favorites in the Bible, Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Oh, I just love that. Like, in your face, devil. <laughs> Triumphing over them by the cross. To me, one of the most remarkable things about this verse and the thing you need to grasp from it is that it's past tense. Did you see that? Look, look again. He disarmed them, past tense. He made, past tense, a public spectacle of them. He triumphed, past tense, over them. I remember watching a football game this last season. I wish I could remember the teams. It was, uh, there was only about a, a couple of seconds left in the game I don't remember all the details, but the two teams realized the game was over, and they started going to the locker rooms. But there were still a couple seconds on the clock, as I remember. Does anybody remember seeing this game this year? Yeah, yeah you remember seeing it with me? Okay, good. So I'm not, 
I didn't just dream this. At least it's true. Or she's just being supportive, one or the other. <coughs> so the teams go to their locker room. The press is all over the field. People are everywhere. And the refs are like freaking out. They're like, no, 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 no. Stop. Everybody just stop. There are two seconds left on the clock. This has to be played. All right? And the refs are freaking out. And they stood there. And, this, and the commentators were starting to do their end of the game thing. And all of a sudden they back up and say, wait a minute. The refs are saying there's two seconds left on the clock. And they've got to get back out on the field. And it's like, and, and everybody's just freaking out. And finally, I think it took like 10 minutes. Does that sound about right? It seemed like it took 10 minutes. They finally called. I'm not even sure all the players came back out. But they just kind of all stood out there for that, you know, kneel down kind of play. Right? To end the game because there were two seconds left on the clock. And one could make the case, and, and the, there was, there's no way in the world that the score was going to change or anything was going to change. And one could make the case that time was meaningless, it, but it had to be played. When, listen, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he completely, completely defeated Satan. He disarmed him, he made a public spectacle of him, and he triumphed over him. This is a fact. In this ball game, the score is infinity to zero. There's, there's nothing. Infinity to zero, but, but there's still one second on the clock. You with me? Okay. There's one second on the clock. We've been living in that one second for the last 2,000 years in, on planet Earth. There's still a battle to be waged. You can't walk off the field yet. But the enemy has been defeated. It's a signed, sealed, delivered fact. It is a fact. It's been done. Now, this is important for us as believers because how we view this very fact will determine how we live our lives. If we're walking around defeated and beaten down all the time, we are giving in to the enemy's lies and deceit that he still has power and authority over us. He does not. So we, are, we understand all of a sudden, no, no, the enemy has been defeated. He has been triumphed over, and because Christ is in me, I am part of that victorious army of God that does not have to put up with his lies, his deceit, his attacks. I don't have to put up with his sickness or his attacks against my emotions, attacks against my family or my children. I don't have to put up with that stuff because he's a defeated foe. He's an enemy. He's been defeated. Come on. He's been defeated. He's gone. He's done. His time is up. Yeah, we're still on the field of battle. We're still going to have to, you know, snap the ball a few times. I'm going to be honest with you. But the, the, the fate is sealed. We're already victorious. And we need to operate from a place of victorious already. Yeah. This is why this verse is so important for us to grasp and understand. So we just have to play out the rest of the game until Jesus comes and the final whistle blows. Well, it's a trumpet, but you get the idea. Amen? Yeah. Worship team, come on back up. Woo! How is all this possible? How can we be forgiven and so freely and made alive like this? How can we be restored to the Father who loves us through Christ alone? He's the one who does it. And that's, what, that's why Paul is taking such time and effort in the book of Colossians to ex express and to stress the, the supremacy, the, the importance, the primacy of Christ over all things. He doesn't want anything, again, of human philosophy, religious ways of thinking, or the idea that we can earn anything by keeping rules to interfere with our understanding of Christ. He doesn't want that to happen. And he's trying to drive this point home. Christ is all. He's in all. All the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. And because 
we are in Christ and Christ is in us, all the fullness of God dwells in us as well. Woo! <laughs> I can't get used to that thought. It's too much. So good. And more than that, Paul doesn't want us walking around condemned. He doesn't want us walking around in the flesh. He doesn't want us living a defeated life. That's not who we are. That's not our condition. We're alive, we're forgiven, and we're triumphant in Christ. Aren't you glad? Let's stand. Listen, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how your past was. I told you a bit about mine. And uh, from any, anybody's viewpoint, there's some sadness that could be, you know, my story may be sad in some ways of not having a dad growing up. Some of you could tell stories that would make my story seem like a fairy tale. I know that. I've talked with some of you. And the truth of the matter is, is that I don't, it doesn't matter how awful or how terrible either things you've been through or things that you're going through now are. The truth remains, Christ has given you life. He's forgiven all your sins. The charges were dropped. He paid all that debt for you. And He really does have a triumphant life for you if you'll choose to walk into it today. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.